Welcome to Stories of Runeterra. My name is Guy Black, or Ravenhood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Runeterra by Riot Games. Think of this as an unofficial audio book of League stories and lore. In this special miniseries, we've jumped into one of the stories behind the new game Ruined King by Riot Forged. Uh, this is the final in a four-part miniseries, and I'm very thankful for you all joining me on this little foray. If you can't tell, uh, my throat's a little under the weather. We're going to still make this thing happen, and I'm going to make sure it's still as pleasurable to listen to. But bear with me. Some of my accents and other voices may not be as absolutely perfect as they usually are. Anyway, thanks for stopping by, and don't forget to share this with your friends or share your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter with hashtag stories of Runeterra. Um, and hang in there after the end. I've got a little bit of an update as far as the podcast and the holidays and etc. etc. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, 30 seconds you can count it, we'll jump into part four and the finale of Shadow and Fortune by Graham McNeil. And now for part four of Shadow and Fortune by Graham McNeil. The end of the bridge thickened with noxious green light. The chain warden hid his corpse features beneath a rotted hood, but the light of his lantern hinted at the remains of ravaged flesh gaunt and drained of all emotion save sadistic relish. He moved softly like all of his kind, pained moans sighed from his robes as he moved. Thresh lifted his head a fraction, and Lucian saw the glint of two sharp teeth widen into a grin of anticipation. Mortal, said Thresh, rolling the word around in his mouth like a sweetmeat. Lucian knelt, reciting the mantra of clarity to steal his soul for the battle to come. He had prepared for this moment a thousand times, and now that it was here, his mouth was dry and his palms slick with sweat. You murdered Senna, he said, standing and lifting his head, the only person I had left in this world. Senna, said Thresh, the sound wet and gurgling, as though squeezed from a throat once crushed by a hangman's noose. My wife, said Lucian, knowing he should not speak, that every word was a weapon the wraith would turn against him. Tears blurred his vision as grief washed away every preparation and every shred of logic. He lifted the silver locket from around his neck and snapped it open, needing the wraith to understand the depth of all that he had lost. Thresh grinned, his needle teeth glinting as he tapped the glass of his lantern with a yellowed nail. I remember her, he said, a vital soul, not yet 
barren, cold, ripe for torment, hope for a new life. It bloomed in her, you know, fresh like a spring flower, all too easy to pluck and ruin those with dreams. Lucian lifted his pistols. If you remember her, then you'll remember these, he said. The toothed grin never faltered beneath the ragged cowl. The weapons of light. And the light is ever the bane of darkness, said Lucian, channeling every scrap of hatred into his relic pistols. Wait, said Thresh, but Lucian was done waiting. He loosed a pair of blinding shots. A conflagration of purifying fire engulfed the chain warden, and his howls were music to Lucian's ears. Then the howls changed to gurgling laughter. A nimbus of dark light faded around Thresh, drawn back into his lantern and leaving him utterly untouched by the fire. Lucian fired again. A storm of radiant bolts, each perfectly aimed, but every one wasted. Each shot dissipated harmlessly against the shimmering haze of dark energy from the lantern. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember those weapons, said the wraith. I tore their secrets from Lucian froze. What did you say? Thresh laughed, a wheezing, consumptive rasp. <laughs> Don't you know, after all the reborn order learned from me, you never once suspected Lucian felt cold dread settle in his belly, a horror he had never acknowledged for fear he would go insane. She did not die, continued Thresh, holding up his lantern. Lucian saw tortured spirits twisting in its depths. Thresh grinned. I ripped her soul out. No, said Lucian. I, I saw her die. She screams still inside my lantern, said Thresh, drifting closer with every choked out word. Her every moment of existence is sweet, sweet agony. Listen. No, <gasps> sobbed Lucian, his relic pistols falling to the stones of the bridge. Thresh circled him, chain snaking from his leather belt and slithering over Lucian's body. The hooks cut into his storm cloak, seeking the soft flesh beneath. Oh, 
Lucian looked up into Thresh's ravaged features. His eyes were voids, dark holes into emptiness. Whatever Thresh had been in life, nothing now remained. No compassion, no mercy, and no humanity. All is death and suffering, mortal, said the chain warden, reaching for Lucian's neck. No matter where you run, your only true legacy is death. But before then, there is me. The breath hammered in Miss Fortune's throat as she ran for the temple. Her lungs fought to draw breath, and her veins felt sluggish with ice. Coils of innervating mist reached up the rock of the temple, drawn by the presence of the two lords of the unliving. Brilliant flashes of light flared behind her, but she didn't look back. She heard the thunder of hooves beat on rock, seeing sparks above them in the darkness. She imagined the breath of ghostly steeds on her neck. The space between her shoulder blades burned hot where she expected the stabbing thrust of a spectral lance. Wait, how can they make sparks when they're ghosts? The absurdity of the thought made her laugh, and she was still laughing as they slammed into the warped timber doors of the temple. Raffin and her ragged band were already there, hammering fists and palms against the door. In the name of the bearded lady, let us in, he yelled. He looked up as Miss Fortune joined him. The doors are shut. I noticed. <sighs> she gasped, wrenching the pendant Alawi had given her. She placed her palm flat on the door with the coral pressed hard against the wood. Alawi! she shouted. I'm ready to stamp on that damn eel's neck. Now open the bloody door. Eel, said Raffin. What eel? What are, what are you talking about? Never mind. She snapped, battering her palm bloody against the wood. I think it was a metaphor. The door swung outwards as if it had been unbarred the whole time. Miss Fortune stepped back to allow her fighters inside first, and finally turned around. Hecram reared up and swung his fiery glaive for her skull. A hand grasped her collar and hauled her backward. The tip of the weapon sliced an inch from her throat. She fell hard on her backside. Alawi stood in the doorway, holding her stone idol out before her like a shield. White mist clung to it like corporson. The dead are not welcome here, she said. Raffin and the others hauled the door shut and dropped a heavy spar of seasoned oak into place on the rusted anchors to either side. A huge impact slammed into the door. Wood split and splinters flew. Alawi turned and walked past Misfortune, still sprawled on a mosaic floor of seashells and clay fragments. You took your sweet time, girl, she said as Misfortune climbed to her feet. The temple was filled with at least 200 people, maybe more. She saw a wide cross-section of Bilgewater's denizens, its native population, pirates, traders, and assorted sea scum, together with travelers unlucky or unwise enough to seek a berth so close to the harrowing. Is that door going to hold? she asked. It will, or it won't, said Alawi, 
heading towards a mini-tentacled statue at the center of the temple. Miss Fortune tried to make sense of it, but gave up when her eye kept getting lost in the mini spirals and looping curves. That's not an answer. It is the only one I have, said Alawi, setting her idol in a concave depression in the statue. She began moving in a circle around the statue, beating a rhythmic pattern on her thighs and chest with her fists. The people in the temple joined her circling, beating palms against bare skin, stamping their feet and speaking in a language she didn't understand. What are they doing? Giving some motion back to the world, said Alawi. But we still need time. You'll have it, promised Miss Fortune. The temple walls shook with the violence of the assault. Black mist oozed between ill-fitting planks and through cracks in the scavenged glass of the windows. The door shuddered in its frame. Grasping claws of mist tore at the wood. Screams echoed as a howling gale battered the mismatched timbers on the roof. Over there! shouted Miss Fortune, as a host of mist creatures with burning red eyes poured through a broken section of wall that had once been a series of tea chests from Ionia. She leapt into the midst of the wraiths. It was like jumping naked into an ice hole cut in a glacier. Even the lightest touch of the dead leached warmth and life. The coral pendant burned hot against her skin. She slashed her looted sword through the creatures and felt the same bite she'd felt before. Her bullets might be useless against the dead, but this Demacian blade hurt them. They fell back from her, screeching and hissing. Could the dead know fear? It seemed they could, for they fled the sword's glittering edge. She didn't let them go, stabbing and slashing the mist wherever it poured in. That's it! Run! she yelled. A child screamed, and misfortune sprinted over as the mist reached to claim him. She dived and snatched the boy in her arms before rolling to safety. Chill claws plunged into her back, and misfortune gasped as numbing cold spread through her limbs. She stabbed behind her, and something dead yowled. A woman, sheltering behind an overturned pew, reached for the boy, and misfortune let him squirm to safety. She pushed herself to her feet, weakness spreading through her body like a raging infection. Everywhere was gunfire and clashing steel, deathly howls and screams of terror. Sarah! shouted Raffin. She looked up to see the oaken locking bar securing the door split along its length. Raffin and a dozen men had their backs braced against the bludgeoning assault, but the doors were bulging inward. Cracks spread and grasping hands of mist reached inside. A man was snatched backwards and his piteous screams were abruptly cut off as he vanished into the mist. Another had his arm ripped off as he reached to help him. Raffin spun and rammed his dagger through the gap. Clawed hands tore the useless weapon from his hands. A howling body pushed itself through the disintegrating door and plunged its hands into Raffin's chest. Her second-in-command roared in pain, his face draining of color. She staggered over to him, her strength all but gone. Her blade hacked through the spectral arms, and the creature shrieked as it vanished. Raffin fell into her, and they collapsed back into the nave together. 
Raffin gasped for breath, his features as slack as hers. Don't you die on me, Raffin! She, she wheezed. It'll take more than the dead to kill me. Ugh, he grunted. Bastard thing just winded me. Glass broke somewhere up above. Coils of black mist coalesced overhead, a boiling mass of snapping teeth, claws, and hungry eyes. Misfortune tried to get to her feet, but her limbs burned with exhaustion. She ground her teeth in frustration. Barely a handful of her company remained, and the people sheltering here weren't fighters. The dead were getting in. Misfortune looked back at Alawi. The priestess was surrounded by her people, all of them still circling the statue and performing their fist-thumping, palm-slapping ritual. They didn't appear to be achieving anything. The strange statue remained unmoving and impotent. What should she had expected? That would come to life and drive the dead back like some clanking iron golem from Piltover? Whatever you're doing, do it faster! shouted Misfortune. A section of the roof ripped loose and spun off into the tempest surrounding the temple. A swirling column of spirits boiled inside and touched down like a tornado. Wraiths and things that defied understanding sp spun from the unliving vortex to fall upon the living. Finally, the door gave out and exploded inwards, the timbers dry and rotted by the touch of the dead. The skirling blast of a hunting horn filled the temple, and Misfortune's hands flew to her ears at its deafening echoes. Hecarim rode into the temple, crushing the men who had been bracing the door with their bodies. Their souls were drawn up into the shadow of war's flaming glaive, and the cold fire of its edge illuminated the temple with loathsome radiance. His death knights rode at his back, and the spirits already within the temple drew back in recognition of Hecarim's terrible glory. I said the dead are not welcome here, boomed Alawi. Misfortune looked up to see the priestess towering over her stout and majestic. Pale light clung to her limbs and sparkled on the stone tablet she held in trembling hands. Veins stood out like hawsers in her neck, and her jawline was taut with effort. Sweat ran down in runnels down her face. Whatever Halawi was doing was costing her greatly. These mortal souls are mine, said Hecarim, and Misfortune felt herself recoil from the iron syllables of his voice. They are not, said Alawi. This is the house of Nagake Boros, who stands in opposition of the dead. And the dead will have their due, said Hecarim, lowering his glaive to point at Alawi's heart. The priestess shook her head. Not today, she said. Not while I still move. You cannot stop me. Deaf as well as dead, grinned Alawi, as a swelling radiance built behind her. I didn't say I was going to stop you. Misfortune turned and saw the spiraling statue bathed in blinding radiance. White light smoked from its surfaces and shadows fled from its touch. She shielded her eyes as the light billowed outwards like writhing tentacles, and where it met the black mist, it stripped it bare, exposing the twisted souls within. The sinuous light pulled the dead onwards, 
purging the baleful magic that cursed them to undeath so very long ago. She expected screams, but instead the unbound dead wept with joy as their souls were freed to move on. The light spread over the cracked walls of the temple, and as it touched her, misfortune cried out as the deathly numbness in her flesh was banished in a rush of heat and life. The light of Nagake Boros closed on Hecram, and misfortune saw his fear at the thought of what transformations it might work upon him. What could be so awful that it was better to remain cursed? You can be free, Hecarim, said Alawi, her voice strained to the limits of endurance by what she had unleashed. You can move on, live in the light as a man you always dreamed of being before his grief and folly remade you. Hecarim roared and swept his glaive at Alawi's neck. Misfortune's blade intercepted it in a clashing flare of sparks. She shook her head. Get out of my city, she said. Hecram's blade drew back for another strike, but before the blow could land, the light finally pierced his veil of darkness. He bellowed in pain and fell back from its burning touch. The Dark Rider's outline shimmered like two picture box images wavering in the candlelight on the same backcloth. Misfortune caught a fleeting glimpse of a tall rider, armored in silver and gold. A young man, handsome and proud, with dark eyes and a future of glory ahead of him. What happened to him? Hecarim roared and galloped from the temple. His death knights and the darkness went with him a shrieking host of tattered spirits following in their wake. The light of Nagake Boros spread over Bilgewater like the coming dawn. None who saw it could ever remember so sweet a sight. The first rays of sunlight after a storm, the first hint of warmth after a bitter winter. The black mist withdrew before it, roiling in a churning maelstrom of panicked spirits. The dead turned on one another in a frenzy, some fighting to return from whence they had come as others actively sought out the light's release. Silence fell as the black mist drew back over the ocean, drawn to the cursed island where it claimed dominion. True dawn broke over the eastern horizon, and a cleansing wind blew through the city as the people of Bilgewater let out a collective breath. The harrowing was over. Silence filled the temple. The utter lack of sound, a stark contrast to the mayhem of moments ago. It's done, said Misfortune. Until the next time, said Alawi wearily. The black mist's hunger burns like a sickness. What did you do? What I had to. Whatever it was. I thank you. Alawi shook her head and put a powerful arm around Misfortune's shoulder. Thank the goddess, said Alawi. Make an offering. Something big. I will, said Misfortune. <laughs> you better. My god dislikes empty promises. 
The veiled threat rankled, and for a moment she thought of putting a bullet through the priestess's skull. Before she could do more than inch her hand to her pistols, Alawi crumpled like a ripped topsail. Misfortune grabbed for her, but the priestess was too enormous to hold upright alone. They went to the seashell floor together. Raffin, help me get her up, she said. Together they propped up Alawi against a broken pew, grunting with the effort of shifting her colossal bulk. A bearded lady rose from the sea, said Raffin. Don't be stupid all your life, said Alawi. I said Nagake Boros doesn't live under the sea. So where does she live? asked Raffin. In, in the sky? Alawi shook her head and punched him in the heart. Raffin grunted and winced in pain. There is where you will find her. Alawi grinned at the obliqueness of her answer and her eyes drifted close. Is she dead? asked Raffin, rubbing his bruised chest. Alawi reached up and slapped him, then started snoring like a Steve door with a lung blight. The temple wall shook with the violence of the assault. Black mist oozed between ill-fitting planks and through cracks in the scavenged glass of the windows. The door shuddered in its frame. Grasping claws of mist tore at the wood. Screams echoed as a howling gale battered the mismatched timbers on the roof. Over there! shouted Miss Fortune, as a host of mist creatures with burning red eyes poured through a broken section of wall that had once been a series of tea chests from Ionia. She leapt into the midst of the wraiths. It was like jumping naked into an ice hole cut in a glacier. Even the lightest touch of the dead leached warmth and life. The coral pendant burned hot against her skin. She slashed her looted sword through the creatures and felt the same bite she'd felt before. Her bullets might be useless against the dead, but this Demacian blade hurt them. They fell back from her, screeching and hissing. Could the dead know fear? It seemed they could, for they fled the sword's glittering edge. She didn't let them go, stabbing and slashing the mist wherever it poured in. That's it! Run! she yelled. A child screamed, and Misfortune sprinted over as the mist reached to claim him. She dived and snatched the boy in her arms before rolling to safety. Chill claws plunged into her back, and Misfortune gasped as numbing cold spread through her limbs. She stabbed behind her, and something dead yowled. A woman sheltering behind an overturned pew reached for the boy, and Misfortune let him squirm to safety. She pushed herself to her feet, weakness spreading through her body like a raging infection. Everywhere was gunfire and clashing steel, deathly howls and screams of terror. Sarah! shouted Raffin. She looked up to see the oaken locking bar securing the door split along its length. Raffin and a dozen men had their backs braced against the bludgeoning assault, but the doors were bulging inward. Cracks spread and grasping hands of mist reached inside. A man was snatched backwards and his piteous screams were abruptly cut off as he vanished into the mist. Another had his arm ripped off as he reached to help him. Raffin spun and rammed his dagger through the gap. 
clawed hands tore the useless weapon from his hands. A howling body pushed itself through the disintegrating door and plunged its hands into Raffin's chest. Her second-in-command roared in pain, his face draining of color. She staggered over to him, her strength all but gone. Her blade hacked through the spectral arms, and the creature shrieked as it vanished. Raffin fell into her, and they collapsed back into the nave together. Raffin gasped for breath, his features as slack as hers. Don't you die on me, Raffin! She she wheezed. It'll take more than the dead to kill me. He grunted. Bastard thing just winded me. Glass broke somewhere up above. Coils of black mist coalesced overhead, a boiling mass of snapping teeth, claws, and hungry eyes. Misfortune tried to get to her feet, but her limbs burned with exhaustion. She ground her teeth in frustration. Barely a handful of her company remained, and the people sheltering here weren't fighters. The dead were getting in. Misfortune looked back at Alawi. The priestess was surrounded by her people, all of them still circling the statue and performing their fist-thumping, palm-slapping ritual. They didn't appear to be achieving anything. The strange statue remained unmoving and impotent. What did she expect it? That would come to life and drive the dead back like some clanking iron golem from Piltover? Whatever you're doing, do it faster! shouted Miss Fortune. A section of the roof ripped loose and spun off into the tempest surrounding the temple. A swirling column of spirits boiled inside and touched down like a tornado. Wraiths and things that defied understanding spun from the unliving vortex to fall upon the living. Finally, the door gave out and exploded inwards, the timbers dry and rotted by the touch of the dead. The skirling blast of a hunting horn filled the temple, and Misfortune's hands flew to her ears at its deafening echoes. Hecarim rode into the temple, crushing the men who had been bracing the door with their bodies. Their souls were drawn up into the shadow of war's flaming glaive, and the cold fire of its edge illuminated the temple with loathsome radiance. His death knights rode at his back, and the spirits already within the temple drew back in recognition of Hecarim's terrible glory. I said the dead are not welcome here, boomed Alawi. Misfortune looked up to see the priestess towering over her stout and majestic. Pale light clung to her limbs and sparkled on the stone tablet she held in trembling hands. Veins stood out like hawsers in her neck, and her jawline was taut with effort. Sweat ran down in runnels down her face. Whatever Halawi was doing was costing her greatly. These mortal souls are mine, said Hecarim and misfortune felt herself recoil from the iron syllables of his voice. They are not, said Alawi. This is the house of Nagake Boros, who stands in opposition of the dead. And the dead will have their due, said Hecarim, lowering his glaive to point at Alawi's heart. The priestess shook her head. Not today, she said. Not while I still move. You cannot stop me. Deaf as well as dead, grinned Alawi as a swelling radiance built behind her. I didn't say I was going to stop you. 
Miss Fortune turned and saw the spiraling statue bathed in blinding radiance. White light smoked from its surfaces and shadows fled from its touch. She shielded her eyes as the light billowed outwards like writhing tentacles, and where it met the black mist, it stripped it bare, exposing the twisted souls within. The sinuous light pulled the dead onwards, purging the baleful magic that cursed them to undeath so very long ago. She expected screams, but instead the unbound dead wept with joy as their souls were freed to move on. The light spread over the cracked walls of the temple, and as it touched her, misfortune cried out as the deathly numbness in her flesh was banished in a rush of heat and life. The light of Nagake Boros closed on Hecram, and misfortune saw his fear at the thought of what transformations it might work upon him. What could be so awful that it was better to remain cursed? You can be free, Hecram, said Alawi her voice strained to the limits of endurance by what she had unleashed. You can move on, live in the light as a man you always dreamed of being before his grief and folly remade you. Hecram roared and swept his glaive at Alawi's neck. Misfortune's blade intercepted it in a clashing flare of sparks. She shook her head. Get out of my city, she said. Hecram's blade drew back for another strike, but before the blow could land, the light finally pierced his veil of darkness. He bellowed in pain and fell back from its burning touch. The Dark Rider's outline shimmered like two picture box images wavering in the candlelight on the same backcloth. Misfortune caught a fleeting glimpse of a tall rider, armored in silver and gold. A young man, handsome and proud, with dark eyes and a future of glory ahead of him. What happened to him? Hecarim roared and galloped from the temple. His death knights and the darkness went with him, a shrieking host of tattered spirits following in their wake. The light of Naga Kebora spread over Bilgewater like the coming dawn. None who saw it could ever remember so sweet a sight. The first rays of sunlight after a storm the first hint of warmth after a bitter winter. The black mist withdrew before it, roiling in a churning maelstrom of panicked spirits. The dead turned on one another in a frenzy, some fighting to return from whence they had come as others actively sought out the light's release. Silence fell as the black mist drew back over the ocean, drawn to the cursed island where it claimed dominion. True dawn broke over the eastern horizon, and a cleansing wind blew through the city as the people of Bilgewater let out a collective breath. The harrowing was over. Silence filled the temple, the utter lack of sound a stark contrast to the mayhem of moments ago. It's done, said Miss Fortune. Until the next time, said Alawi wearily, the black mist's hunger burns like a sickness. What did you do? What I had to. Whatever it was, I thank you. 
Malawi shook her head and put a powerful arm around Miss Fortune's shoulder. Thank the goddess, said Alawi. Make an offering. Something big. I will, said Miss Fortune. <laughs> you better. My god dislikes empty promises. The veiled threat rankled, and for a moment she thought of putting a bullet through the priestess's skull. Before she could do more than inch her hand to her pistols, Alawi crumpled like a ripped topsail. Misfortune grabbed for her, but the priestess was too enormous to hold upright alone. They went to the seashell floor together. Raffin, help me get her up, she said. Together they propped up Alawi against a broken pew, grunting with the effort of shifting her colossal bulk. A bearded lady rose from the sea, said Raffin. Don't be stupid all your life, said Alawi. I said Naga Keboros doesn't live under the sea. So where does she live? asked Raffin. In, in the sky? Alawi shook her head and punched him in the heart. Raffin grunted and winced in pain. There is where you will find her. Alawi grinned at the obliqueness of her answer and her eyes drifted close. Is she dead? asked Raffin, rubbing his bruised chest. Alawi reached up and slapped him, then started snoring like a Steve door with a lung blight. Lucian sat on the edge of the bridge and watched the city emerge from black mist. He'd hated Bilgewater on first sight, but there was a quality of beauty to it as the sunlight bathed its myriad clay-tiled roofs in a warm amber glow. A city reborn, like it was every time the harrowing receded. An apt name for this dread moment, but one that carried only a fraction of the sorrow of its origins. Did anyone here really understand the real tragedy of the Shadow Isles? And even if they did, would they care? He turned as he heard footsteps approaching. It's kind of pretty from up here, said Miss Fortune. But only from up here. Yeah, it's a viper's nest, all right, said Miss Fortune. There's good people and bad people, but I've been making sure there's a lot less of the bad. The way I hear it, you started a war, said Lucian. Some might say, like, burning down your own house to kill a rat. He saw anger touch her, but it passed quickly. I thought I was making things better for everyone, she said, straddling the parapet. But they're only getting worse. I need to do something about that, starting now. Is that why you were out in the black mist? The woman thought for a moment. Maybe not at first, she said. I let a razor eel off the hook when I killed Gangplank. And if I don't take hold of it and get it back on, it's going to bite a lot of the good people. A razor eel? What I mean to say is that when I brought the Pirate King down... I had no idea what would happen when he was gone, and I didn't much care, 
she said. But I've seen what's happening down there without someone in control. The city's tearing its own throat out. Bilgewater needs someone strong at the top. No reason that someone can't be me. The war's just starting, and the only way it'll end quickly is if I win it. The silence between them stretched. My answer is no. I didn't ask anything. You're going to, said Lucian. You want me to stay and help win your war, but I can't. Your fight isn't my fight. It could be, said Miss Fortune. The pay's good, and you'll get to kill a lot of bad people, save a lot of innocent souls. There's only one soul I need to save, said Lucian, and I won't save it in Bilgewater. Miss Fortune nodded and held out her hand. Then I'll say farewell and good hunting, she said, standing and dusting your bridges. I hope you find what you're looking for. Just know that you can lose yourself in revenge. Lucian watched her limp back to the sagging ruins of the temple as the survivors within emerged, blinking into the daylight. She thought she understood what drove him, but she hadn't the first clue. Vengeance? He was so far beyond vengeance. His beloved was held in torment by an undying wraith, a creature from ancient days that understood suffering like no other. Misfortune did not understand even a fraction of his pain. He rose and lifted his gaze out to sea. The ocean was calm now, an emerald green expanse. The people were already moving down to the docks, repairing ships and rebuilding their homes. Bilgewater never stopped, even in the aftermath of the harrowing. He scanned the forest of swaying masts, looking for a ship that wasn't too badly damaged. Perhaps one desperate captain could be persuaded to take him where he needed to go. I'm coming, my light, he said, and I will free you. The fisherman grunted as he worked the stern windlass to haul the big man from the water onto his boat. The rope was frayed and he sweated in the cold air as he worked the crank. By the bristles of her bearded chin, you're a big old bastard, aren't you? Right sure you are, he said, snagging the man's armor with a gaffing hook and pulling him around over the rolling deck. He kept a wary eye out for predators above and below the surface. No sooner had the black mist withdrawn from over the horizon than scores of boats put out to sea. The waters were awash with plunder, and if you weren't fast, you ended up with nothing. He spotted the floating man as he already fought off six skewer jacks trying to reach him. Damned if warp scum like these were going to steal this ocean bounty from him. The big man had been drifting on a bed of what looked like the remains of a giant kraken worm. Its tentacles were pulped and bloated with noxious gases, which was all that kept the big man's armored form afloat. He dropped his catch onto the deck and laid him out along the gun wall before casting an appraising eye over his body. A heavy iron hauberk of ring and scale, rugged fur-lined boots, and, ooh, best of all, a magnificent axe tangled in the straps of his armor. Oh, yes, make a few crackings out of you, my beauty, 
he said, dancing a happy jig around his boat. A few krakens indeed. The big man coughed up brackish seawater. <coughs> Am I still alive? he asked. The fisherman stopped his happy jig and slid a hand towards the long knife at his belt. He used it to cut open fish bellies. No reason he couldn't use it to open a throat. Wouldn't be the first time a salvager had helped someone on their way to the bearded lady to claim a prize. The big man opened his eyes. Touch that knife again and I'll cut you into more pieces than that damned kraken worm. And so ends our reading of Shadow and Fortune by Graham McNeil. Thanks for joining me in this mini-series for the Ruined King game. I'm enjoying it still. I have two children and a job, so I don't get to play as much as I would like, but I'm really enjoying it when I do play. That being said, the holidays are coming up in my part of the world, and so I'm going to take a break from the Wednesday stories um, and finish up a couple champions which we'll keep releasing throughout uh, i know we have morgana coming out this saturday and then i think we're gonna pick up at least four ruined king um champions i'm thinking of doing alawi um maybe we'll do um lucian maybe we'll well we'll figure it out i know i definitely want to do alawi if no one else so thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Go ahead and hit me up and talk to me about any champions you would like me to read. And we'll go from there. Appreciate you joining me on this mini series and uh, share, review, you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side.